Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. It is 21 degrees right now in the Twin Cities at 6.07. Great to be with you on this Saturday along with the producer Jonathan Lowe. Jonathan, how are you doing here in this uh, chilly weather that we've all been experiencing for the past three weeks? The uh, only thing that I can say is that it's moderated. It hasn't warmed. I can't even (laughs) say it's warmed up. It's moderated, which is uh, a step up from where we used to be, which was at the back end of the freezer. It's got to come. It's got to be coming a warming trend. But it's nowhere in sight. I'm not expecting it. I'm not (laughs) expecting it until after Memorial Day. Just, Memorial Day? Yeah, no. I, I'm being half facetious, half not, because the way that this area works sometimes, it might be till mid-May until you actually well, experience spring. Well, yes, I do remember, uh, and you were here, I do remember slogging over here last April after I made the decision, actually TV made the decision for me to spend the night in a hotel. <laughs> Excuse me. And so I spent the night in a hotel, checked in. Walked over here from basically WCCO TV, which is only a few blocks away, and I felt like I was a polar Arctic explorer yeah, with the you, snow just driving at me. And you needed a dog sled. You needed a dog sled. The uh, this is the night of the big blizzard, folks, uh, which was a Saturday evening. I remember. And this isn't the first time this has happened since I've been working here. There have been other April snowstorms. It right. snowed in early May. Right. Since and, I've lived yeah. in this area. But that one was a doozy. <laughs> that one was a doozy. There have been a couple other ones that were really big. They, they you, you just it, for, for some people, they love it. They thrive off of it. They can't get enough of it. For me, I, I apologize to those people. I am not with you. Well, just, I am, just, not, I am just, not from your same mold. I, I, you know, I don't mind the snow. It's just did we have to get it all at, in the same three-week period or could it have not have been spread out a little bit more – Over the past few months. (laughs) Here's my position on snow. Just overall. Uh, Snow is pretty for 12 hours. It has a 12-hour limit. Once it gets past 12 hours, it just becomes a wreck. I don't know about that. It is it is beautiful, and I know hours. an awful lot of people. There, I, I was driving here, and I saw a bunch of kids sledding, and they look so happy. And there's so many great things you can do for the snowmobilers and the skiers. Twelve hours. Yes, I am the snow Grinch. The That's snow correct. Grinch. Okay. Well, listen, we have got a, a great show lined up for tonight. Uh, this hour, we are going to talk uh, uh, about a couple of issues that are before the Minnesota State Legislature. And actually, I think that there are a lot of things that could get done in this legislative session. One of them that I do think is going to get done is a some form of distracted driving bill. I think in this legislature, you're going to see something come out that will prevent people from talking on their cell phones while driving. And uh, my first guest coming up uh, lost his daughter a number of years ago, and he has really been crusading for this for a long time. I think this is the year he might see it. We'll talk to them, and then we'll talk to Senator Patricia Torres-Ray. Uh, she, of course, is, is a, a veteran state legislator, 
And she had a news conference with several other legislators to talk about the fact that there are so few teachers of color. And what kind of precedent does that set? What kind of inspiration does that provide for those children of color who are sitting in a classroom and they're not seeing teachers that look like them? Uh, and then we're going to talk in the 7 o'clock hour, what does it take to be or to own a championship dog? I mean, what does it take to get you to Westminster? Is it just a great dog or is it uh, – obviously, you've got to have the breeding, but do you have to like know how to run around that rink in, in a little suit and <laughs> do it perfectly? I think you probably need some of that. Uh, and then the 8 o'clock hour, we are going to talk with uh, David Schultz. I'm going to break down the Klobuchar announcement. I was actually at that announcement last Sunday. She uh, kicked off her campaign uh, in Eau Claire. Uh, so we'll talk to him about uh, her race and also what he expects out of the Minnesota State Legislature. I do want to let you know that uh, 1030 a.m. WCCO-TV tomorrow, my guests will be Governor and First Lady Mrs. Tim Walls, Gwen Walls, who is the first First Lady that the uh, state has had for a number of years, obviously, Governor Dayton was not married and uh, First Lady Gwen Walls has a number of agenda items that she really is advocating for. So I think that's going to be really cool. So please tune in 1030 a.m. And of course, uh, of course, Mike Augustinak will have your updated weather forecast. But let's take a quick break. When we come back, we will be joined by V.J. Dixit. He is the chairman of the Shreya Dixit Memorial Foundation, and he is a longtime advocate for a crackdown on laws that – he says, allow too much distracted driving here in Minnesota. It is 6.15 in the Twin Cities. Esme Murphy with you until 9 o'clock along with producer Jonathan Lowe. Uh, this legislative session, there is expected to be some form of distracted driving legislation that will be passed. In other words, some form of law that basically says you can't drive while you're on your cell phone. No one has worked harder on some kind of legislation like this than V.J. Dixit, who lost his own daughter back in 2007. His daughter, Shreya, was only 19 years old in a distracted driving case. And I have interviewed him many times. Uh, V.J. Dixit, uh, thank you so much for coming on. Thank you very much, Asmi. It's such a pleasure to okay. speak with you again. All right. Uh, absolutely. And a pleasure to speak with you, sir, as well. I, I do believe from what I'm hearing at the legislature that this is going to be the year that something gets passed. Uh, that's my analysis. You've been, you've been in the trenches. You've been fighting for this every single year at the legislature. What do you think? Do you think this is the year something is going to get passed? Well, we are cautiously optimistic. Yes. This seems to be the year it will pass, and I'm using the word will, but there's still some committee meetings that are uh, supposed to be uh, finished. One is on this coming Tuesday, and uh, hopefully, according to estimates, first of March is the day that it will go to the governor's desk. Oh, which day in March? First of March. First of March. I have heard. Wow. Okay. Well, you're, you're, I mean, you're very plugged in there. I will say one of the questions, though, has been what should the penalties be? Uh, is there, can you touch it once to reset it? Uh, I, it sounds as if there's going to be a bill that says you can't drive 
while on your cell phone or you can't be using it in your hand as a navigation device. It's got to be mounted on the yeah. dashboard. Is that your understanding of what, what is most likely to pass? Th- that is correct. So actually there are two bills, yeah, and you're absolutely right. There is a hand-free bill, which which actually was introduced last year also, and now with the modification that's reintroduced this year and has very good potential to um, good prospects to pass. In addition to that, there's a parallel bill uh, in the legislature, is the penalty bill, which is separate from this one. But I believe it's the hand-free bill. If that passes, then penalty bill can follow. But, you know, that we, we need to look at both of them. But I believe, this is my personal belief and a lot of other advocates as well as uh, educators, they say that it's better to have a law first in place before you put in penalties. Right. And, and it's the penalty one, that second bill that, that's more controversial and that's prompting a lot of debate. I mean, the proposals range anywhere from after, you know, several repeated offenses or somebody gets hurt. I think if somebody gets hurt, potentially looking at felony charges, but, um, or maybe not. And I think that's one of the problems. But, uh, yeah. there are some legislators who don't want to make it a felony. There are other legislators who are talking about if you have a third offense, you lose your phone, which I think would be difficult to enforce. What are, what are your thoughts about the penalty phase here? I think, again, I'll come back to the same point that penalties need to be looked at. But I think it's important for us to have a law in place first. Okay. How can you do penalties when you do, cannot even enforce the law? Right. And the hands-free bill that is right now being discussed actually allows the law enforcement as well as people who are actually violating the law to be caught red-handed. Right now, we do have a texting law, as you know, Esme. Right. You, but, can't, you can't text and drive in, in Minnesota, as, you, you, as well you should not. That is right. However, it's very difficult. It's challenging for the troopers to catch a person in action because they have to catch the person. Yes, you were te- texting. He said, no, 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 no. I was on the telephone. How do you do that? But if, right. we, have get, if we get that telephone out of the hands of the drivers, put it on a harness, the moment a driver touches the telephone, maybe you know that he has violated the law. Or if, right. the, if the person is holding a telephone in his or her hand, she or he has violated, right. uh, violated the law, so you can cash them. Enforcement becomes better, and at the same time, when you know that we are easily going to be tracked, I think that, that, that you know, Hawthorne effect, where what we are talking about, if people are watching you, then you are careful. And we have seen it right. 15, 16 other states as me. And we are not the leader in this field. There are 17 states already with hands-free law, and they are on an average saving 15 to 20% of lives every year. 
We're chatting with, we're chatting with Vijay Dixit. He's the chairman of the Shreya Dixit Memorial Foundation. His daughter Shreya was killed in a distracted driving incident back in 2007 and and Vijay Dixit has been fighting as I said for years now for some kind of law. Uh, you know, you're absolutely right. I actually talked with Colonel Matt Langer who's the head of the state patrol. And he said the problem that the state troopers are having, and they're doing the job to, to try and keep all of us safe out there on, on the highways and the roads, is that they pull somebody over and they say, uh, I saw you on your phone with the thumbs moving and, and the person will be, no, 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 I was just talking on the phone, which of course yeah. is legal. Or, oh, I wasn't texting. I was just using it as a navigation device to get to yeah. grandma's house. And that's the difficulty is, is the threshold for, for explaining, you know, what you're doing is so high. Uh, one version of the law, though, that the first bill I heard was that you could touch it to reset it. I, I don't know if that's still in the law or not. Yeah, I, I think that is in the works and hopefully there will be some resolutions yeah. on that. Yes, you can touch it and you can use the GPS on it. Okay. But even on the GPS, even on the GPS, when you have... Whenever you have your eyes away from the road, you are risky. Right. Risking your life. Right. So, yeah. Yeah, go ahead. No, it well, it just and I actually in the process of like looking at some cars and some of these newer cars. There's so much going on in the dashboard. I don't, I don't see how you can't. It's, it's to me, are almost as distracting in and of itself. But I, I wonder. Uh, and let me ask you this: When is this supposed to get go into effect? Because I know a lot of laws, new laws. If it does get passed, which I think it is going to get passed, some form of it. You think it's going to get passed? You're even more plugged in than I am on this. And, I, and I'm pretty plugged in. Uh, do you think it could be passed, uh, go into effect as soon as August? Yes, that is what our goal August is. 1st. And that if in this session, if it passes this session, the governor has already promised to sign it. And there is right. very good amount of bipartisan support in both House and the Senate. Absolutely. So, and you, you, and the Republicans are on board. There were a number of very prominent Republicans who had questions about this. They're on board in, in the Senate. You know, if you've got people like – if you have somebody like Senator Paul Gazelka, who's the uh, majority leader of the Senate uh, on board, I, I don't see how it's not going to pass. And you've got also you know, the Democratic legislators. They control the House. It does seem like it's going to pass and it does seem like the, the only question is on the penalty side. But it, and it, the data that you've been talking about is something that is so important and, and that there really has resulted in – deaths going down in other states. And and I have to say, it just, when we cover one of these news conferences, you know, and people like yourself tell this story, your story, and, and then, you know, somebody else gets up and tells a story. It's just devastating. It is. It is. But I think now we are telling those stories with data. Right. And stories alone do not work. Yeah, we can... We we can emotionally influence them, but lot of the lot of the legislatures they want data, and now we have data on seventeen states and one district of Columbia, all of them, all of them more than fifteen, sixteen, twenty percent, uh, even two years after the law has gone into effect. Take for instance, even in this state. If we use a lower lower estimate, which is 15% of all the crashes are because of distracted driving or cell phone use, we will be saving 55 lives next year. 
And if we keep fighting about this and not making a decision, by next year at this time, we will have lost another 55 lives. Wow. And that's unacceptable. Absolutely. That's not a choice we should have. Right. It, it is something that um, I, I think is long overdue, and I think it is uh, something that, again, that, uh, as you said, it has broad bipartisan support. And I think it's something that uh, I, I think if it doesn't happen this year, it's going to happen. But why not do it this year and, and, and take that step? Why not? And things are not getting any better. Take for instance, I just before I went to the sh- went to the show, I looked up at the DPS Office of Traffic Safety site. Thirty-eight people, thirty-eight people have been already killed in the year 2019. Wow. Last year, at this time, we had lost 28. Things are not getting any better. All right. Well, I listen. Think this is a no-brainer. This is a no no-brainer. And you, you mentioned you mentioned a hearing on Tuesday at the Capitol on this. Is that for the House or the Senate? Do you know? That, that is for the House bill. That's that's for the House bill, and uh, Senate bill uh, was uh, actually uh, heard a couple of weeks ago, and it passed through that. Right. And so we're we're making good progress. You're making good progress. Well, listen, VJ Tixit, I you, you've been at this, uh, you know, tragically for a long time, and really advocating. You were one of the first people that really. You know, was was waving the flag here in Minnesota and saying we need to do something, and uh, I, I certainly hope that this is the year you get that law. Thank you so much, Esme, for uh, inviting me and uh, talking to your uh, listeners. Absolutely, well, and and I'm sure we'll see you at the Capitol. I'm spending some more time down there, so uh, I'm sure I'll be covering some of these hearings. And as Good. the governor's on board, so it looks like something is in fact going to happen. Absolutely, absolutely. Okay, thank you so much. Sure, all the best. Yes. Um, so I do think, folks, that by August 1st, I think we're going to have this in Minnesota. And uh, the version that I'm hearing that has the l- biggest chance of passing is one that would require you, if you have you know an older car like I do right now, is that you'd have to have some kind of amount on your dashboard to hold the phone so it wouldn't be in your hand. And um, I guess you could talk on your phone, but it, ha- it would have to be hands-free. That's the, my understanding. That, that might change, and there might be differences between the House bill and the Senate bill, but it just couldn't be physically in your hand so you couldn't look down. And again, what the state troopers are saying is that they are having a very difficult time enforcing what the obvious – law that we have in place already, no texting and driving, because every time they finally pull somebody over, the person goes, no, 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 I was just looking at my GPS. I wasn't texting or whatever. So, uh, And I think that's something that that, uh, really I think all of us agree is not something that we want to have – we want to have enforcement of that and we want the state troopers to be able to do their jobs and enforce these laws and the laws need to be a little tougher there. All right. Well, coming up in our next half hour, we are going to be visited by Senator Patricia Torres Ray. Uh, only 4.3% of all teachers are teachers of color, while 33.5% of Minnesota students are of color or American Indian. Uh, the Increased Teachers of Color Act 
is co-sponsored by Senator Torres, and it aims to increase diversity amongst teachers here. And to attract new teachers and teachers of color is something that I think a lot of people in communities uh, in the Twin Cities and across the state of Minnesota think it would be a very, very good idea. So we're going to talk to her. Keep it here, folks. You are listening to News Radio 830 WCCO. 35 in the Twin Cities. Hope you were having a great Saturday evening. Want to invite you to tune in to WCCO TV Sunday morning, 6 a.m., 10.30 a.m., 10.30 a.m. Special guests, Governor and First Lady of Minnesota will be with us, both Governor Tim Walls and his wife, Gwen Walls, the first First Lady Minnesota has had in a number of years, will both be live guests. So that should be a lot of fun. Well, one proposal that was made uh, for a piece of legislation at the legislature this past week is a bill that's called the Increased Teachers of Color Act. Right now, only 4.3% of all teachers are teachers of color, while, listen to this, 33.5% of Minnesota students are of color or Native American. Senator Patricia Torres-Ray is the sponsor, co-sponsor of the bill, and she is joining us right now. Senator Torres-Ray, thank you so much for coming on. Thank you so much. I'm delighted. Thank you for inviting me to connect with your audience. Well, absolutely. Why don't you tell us, and, and you had a big uh, group there, you know, announcing this. Tell us about what you have found and what your bill would like to do and what are some of the things that if, if you could wave, wave your magic wand and get this act through and get some other provisions passed, what would you like to see? Well, um, you know, the reason you saw a large group with us during our press conference last week is because this is the result of three years of work and uh, the work of a coalition that involved about 1,200 uh, people who participated in putting together the recommendations that are included in this piece of legislation. So it's a very comprehensive approach, and what this group helped us do was to really travel around the state of Minnesota and hear from teachers in rural Minnesota, administrators from, you know, suburban communities, urban core. So they connected with a large audience geographically and also with institutions that are involved in education. And what they heard is that uh, we really uh, are in a crisis, that we need more teachers. Uh, Young people are not pursuing the teaching profession and um, we just need to do more in general to recruit teachers, but we have a particular problem with uh, recruiting and retaining teachers of color. So what the bill uh, uh, wants to do is respond to this critical need that we have in Minnesota today. You just uh, mentioned the numbers, uh, only 2,740 teachers in the state of Minnesota. I mean, that's just a very, very small number of teachers um, that, to, uh, you know, today um, are in the classroom. And what the bill uh, really uh, tries to do is is really put a, a number of initiatives in there uh, to, to provide incentives for young people to pursue the teaching profession, uh, to ensure that we have funding for schools uh, that um, uh, train our teachers, uh, that we uh, provide incentives for um, paying tuition, And we also maintain the funding for programs that are in place right now, um, like the American Indian Teacher Preparation Program, the Collaborative Urban and Greater Minnesota Educators of Color Grant. And so uh, it it has a number of um, 
tools inserted in, in the bill, and what we were told is that very definitely we need to do all of it in order okay. to really um, have an impact. All right. Let me ask you, and something you said there is that in, in general what you're finding uh, is that young people are not attracted to the teaching profession, and you've got especially this problem with, 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 with people of color, but overall young people are not being attracted to the teaching profession. Uh, is there any reason why? You know, it's, I think that uh, I talk a lot with teachers. You know, I have served in the education committee for 12 years now, since, uh, really since I started in the Senate, uh, since I started in the Senate. And I think what I hear, uh, you know, the teaching, teaching is hard. Uh, it's, it's, it is absolutely hard, yes. You, you know, we have teachers that are not able to go to the bathroom. They don't have time to go to the bathroom. They'll have a break. It's a, it's a difficult profession. Uh, you know, with the market as it is, uh, there is a lot, you know, that, that young people can pursue. We have a good economy right now, uh, lots of jobs open to them. Um, millennials, young people like to travel to pursue jobs in, in different parts of the world. And it's a profession that really doesn't pay well. And, and another thing that we, we also find is that many times, uh, you know, young people do pursue the, the profession and stay, but in Minnesota, we don't have a system of induction for teachers. So we don't have a system that provides kind of a, a mentorship program and, and support system when they enter the profession. So they are on their own learning. And, uh, you know, these are very difficult years. We lose a lot of teachers. You know, the report that we um, just received from um from the uh, uh, Professional Educator Licensing and Standards Board indicate that we have about, I think it's 52% of teachers um, that, that have a teaching license right now, but they are not working as teachers in wow. the classroom. Wow. Mm-hmm. You know, and, and I, I wonder, you know, for, for young people also, if, you know, I think it's well known that teachers don't get paid enough. I mean, the, the, the schedule for some people is is great because you do have that more time off. That's the one benefit they do have. But I think there are so many of these young people, uh, obviously, who are of color and also who are Caucasian, who are coming out of colleges and coming out of get, getting these degrees, and they have so much debt. I wonder if they're looking at mm-hmm. the, the end saying, well, I, if I work for 20 or 30 years as a teacher, I'm still not going to be making you know, a lot of money and I'm still going to be dealing with, with these debts. I mean, do you think that might be a factor? Absolutely, it is. Absolutely, it is. And we see that in general, uh, you know, these kids, uh, these young people really are understanding that when they get out of college, they're going to have this debt that impedes, you know, for them to, to really save for money to buy a house, even to buy a car, because they just have to pay uh, incredible amounts of money. And so the bill actually, a chunk of, of this money, uh, almost $26 million that I'm asking for, that we are asking for, is actually for scholarships. Because oh. we are absolutely convinced that without that incentive, it's going to be very difficult, really, for us to provide the incentives that are necessary for, you know, for to attract, to attract people in, in general. And, you know, we have significant problems that are kind of... Uh, Different problems depending on what geographic area uh, you look at. Uh, for instance, in rural Minnesota, we have a significant problem in general with teachers with not recruiting and retaining. And then in uh, urban core, I think there are some areas where we are not able to recruit teachers, you know, for STEM, cell, for STEM 
um, science, um, world languages. We're not able to recruit uh, teachers with that type of license. So depending on the area that you that you look at, um, they struggle with kind of different situations, but in general, they're just not able to to recruit. And then, you know, in Minneapolis, we had a report where we, uh, Minneapolis has tried very, very hard to um, recruit nationwide, and they have hired people of color, they have hired teachers of color and, and native teachers, but um, they have not been able to retain them. So it's, wow. it's a big problem. And we don't have good statistics about retain, retention. We have some districts right. and we have some anecdotal data. So we need to do a better job of really trying to figure out why they are leaving. Right. And, and uh, you know, and obviously Minnesota does have a, a very, very low um, unemployment rate. Uh, and, and that's probably mm-hmm. contributing it to, to it as well. Um, we are chatting with Senator Patricia Torres Ray. Uh, she has been in the state legislature since two, 2007, right? Yes, 2007. Um, uh, you're on the uh, Education Finance uh, Committee, among a number of other committees. Uh, you had a large group of people with you. Uh, what What are you hearing about the chances of this bill and the chances of getting this $26 million in scholarship money to help promote uh, you know, and attract hiring and, and retention of, of teachers of color? I hear very good things. Uh, we have heard from a number of districts, a number of organizations, uh, school districts. I mean, name it. Uh, we've received very good feedback on the, the bill itself, the effort that we're pursuing. The House is excited about it. Uh, Repres- Representative Davney is a co-author in the House. He's the chair of finance. Uh, the governor is very, very supportive of this. Uh, he, you know, as you know, they both are teachers. Yeah, bo- uh, both the governor uh, and and Mrs. Teachers. Walls are are teachers. They are teachers, and so they care uh, very deeply about this issue. Um, I I still have to convince my colleagues uh, in the majority in the Senate. I I think that um, Senator Nelson has been supportive of this issue. Uh, we are in conversations about getting a hearing uh, for the bill. I think that the, the challenge that I face, and, I, and this has been the case for the last 12 years for me, is that, that we are being just too timid. Uh, we are not putting enough emphasis on this issue, and I think that, um, that, that that has been the main problem. You know, imagine we have about um, three and a half million right now invested on efforts uh, for recruitment training of teachers of color in general for all the programs that exist in the different universities. So it's so insufficient, and we we tend to do this, uh, you know, very small allocation, kind of pilot projects here and there, uh, very small money, uh, and and it's just it's just not working. So we are at a point where where we are in a critical need, and we are going to have to really do a much more aggressive approach, and that's what we're asking for. You know. I don't think anybody is going to say that that a Caucasian uh, teacher can't, you know, teach and and be a great teacher for for children of color. But w- in your view, what does it mean? What what is the extra boost, even if it's subliminal, to have a teacher that looks like you teaching you? You know, we uh, the research is very compelling. Uh, this is a question that we have asked ourselves for many, many, many years, uh, almost 25 years of research into what does it make a difference to have a teacher of color in the classroom? 
And the research is very clear. It does. And what the research is telling us right now is not just for teach for children of color and indigenous children to see themselves in their teachers and to be able to relate to their teachers, to be able to speak the same language, uh, to be able to talk about their faith. There are so many things that uh, children need to see in their teacher and be able to, to connect is a really important thing. But what we're seeing in Minnesota is that there are many white children who really don't have opportunities to connect with with people of color, and they are not able. They don't have teachers of color uh, in in their entire experience in the classroom. They never see a teacher of color. We have testimonies of teachers of of children of color who really notice that. But now white children are saying, you know, I never had a, a teacher of color in my life. And when they go to college, when they want to explore the world, they realize that they uh, didn't have that opportunity, that they were not exposed and they were not, um, they didn't learn, the, they didn't have that, that opportunity, you know, to right. have that. that that's, that's a fascinating point. It's something I, I would never have even thought of, that, that, that they're missing out, understanding that, that these people, anybody of whatever color can be a leader and a teacher, and they're not getting that. And, and in, a, in a community and in an age when we're all trying to embrace diversity and accept uh, our you know the, our diversity and embrace it and celebrate it, I, I think that that's uh, that, that's really just a, a problem. Let me ask you: Is Minnesota worse? I know that that we have a, a, one of the worst achievement gaps, and we we still do. Is in terms of like retaining. Uh, teachers of color or the percentage of uh, teachers of color, do we have fewer than other states? We do. We do. Our number is uh, very small. And actually, that's a a very good question. I'm trying to to really look at, you know, the demographics of our state are are quite uh, interesting. When you look at, for instance, the number of uh, Native American people that we have in the state of Minnesota, and you realize that we have, you know, 11, uh, 11 tribes that are incredibly important, powerful, culturally important in our community, and that uh, we have only, you know, 1% of, um, of, 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 of Native American teachers, um, it's, it's just unbelievable that, right. that we accept that. Uh, sorry, it's 0.1. It's not 1. It's 0.1. <laughs> even, even, on the, even on the, the, the reservations, the tribal lands? Uh, well, you know, we separate, we separate um, the Native Hawaiian. So, so, they, they, uh, so we, we separate Alaska Native and we separate, so it's kind of complicated, but but in total, it's just a little bit over one percent in total for native uh, for teachers of point one percent native descent. Mm-hmm. Wow. Okay. And so, so it's, it's you know you really look at in looking at the numbers, for instance, of of our native population and how we value this culture and how important it is uh, historically and foundationally for the state of Minnesota. For us not to have teachers, for us to have you know vast numbers of districts uh, and, and children that would never have a Native teacher in their life. It's, wow. and, you know, it's, it's incredibly profound. So it's, it's not just the number, it's, it's the significance of what we are doing in Minnesota. And so, um, you know, demographically, we really have to look into that, how segregated this state is. Uh, we have suburban communities that are incredibly um, becoming more and more diverse. 
and they have no teachers of color. So that's, I think, the significance uh, of this review right now, that that we really have a a student population that is becoming more and more diverse all over the state of Minnesota, which is not doing enough. So it's it's a problem. All right. Well, listen, uh, Senators Ray, I know that that's what your bill is hoping to address. And we certainly appreciate your time this evening really going in depth into this important issue for us. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you for the opportunity. Absolutely. I really appreciate it. Absolutely. Thank you, Senator Torres Ray. A fascinating discussion there about uh, the implications, not just for students of color, but also students that are Caucasian of not having these role models, these teachers of color in our communities. And I do wonder, I, I do think it's fascinating, though, what Senator Torres Ray was talking about in that she was talking about the fact that young people of all colors really aren't being attracted to the teaching profession. And and that's really a sad thing. And you have to wonder if it's this student debt uh, that the, the, you know, kids are looking at, gee, you know, what, what is the end result? What could I be making? And if I stick with this profession in 34 years and they're thinking maybe that's not enough to pay all the student loans. And that's why you've got so many people who have teaching licenses who aren't teaching. Anyway, um, Senator Patricia Torres Ray. There are a lot of really interesting bills at the Capitol. It'll be interesting to see how many of them go pretty far. Listen, we uh, are overdue for a break. Uh, you are listening to News Talk 830. Keep it here. Oh, it is kind of a night for a brandy. I bet a lot of people have been probably consuming a lot of brandy over the last three weeks. You know, isn't Wisconsin the number one brandy state or the number one brandy place. I think in it's America? just the number one alcohol state. <laughs> I mean, I, no, think I think it's just, I think it really is for I, brandy. I, I, I want to say there was a, a, one of these surveys that came out recently talking about the states uh, that consume the most alcohol. And I think Wisconsin was on top. Well, I, I do think, and I love Wisconsin. Uh, we're, we're giving you the love Wisconsin. Let me just look this up really quickly. I actually do think there's a brandy quotient uh, for Wisconsin that's a little over the top. Uh, Wisconsin, certainly I do think, and I, I spent a lot of time in, yeah, Wisconsinites love affair with brandy. Uh, it's it's rumored that our state is not only, this is on Milwaukee.com, a few websites even for the Wisconsin's responsible for 90, 90, wait a minute, this can't be right. This is a website, is on Milwaukee.com articles. <laughs> this claims that a few websites even reported that Wisconsin is responsible for 90% of the world's brandy consumption. <laughs> that, can't be, that can't be right. That can't be right. I, I swear I've heard this. I, I, I've heard this statistic before. Not the world's. but 90, that's, that's a lot of brandy consumption. Uh, I'd, okay. <laughs> so let's say that Wisconsin drinks a lot of brandy. Yes. And let's say this area, known for its its, uh, let's say more uh, frigid winters at times, yes, uh, is known to have people drink a lot of brandy. You also got Canada. You got <laughs> Canada. Can, they or, don't drink brandy in Canada. Well, I think they they've got their beer and yeah. I know there's a natty wine. natty ice and a natty light and all that good yeah, stuff yeah, yeah, and a Molson. Yeah. No, I would think that brandy would be just right. fine uh, north of the border. Right. 
Well, I yes, I, I think I think Canadians do it. I just I knew that I had heard that out there, and you do like as you drive around in these little towns. It, it's amazing to me how even the tiniest town, the tiniest town in Wisconsin, will have that uh, establishment, the uh, the bar that you can go to. But that's that's Wisconsin. All right, folks, uh, have you ever wondered what it takes to get your pooch to a top dog show? I mean, I know a lot of us have our, our, our generic mutts or we got our – and we've got some purebred dogs, I think. But <laughs> I don't know, maybe I need to do a DNA test. But I don't think they're going to any dog shows anytime soon. So we're going to talk to uh, Dawn Droll. She's the vice president for the American Brittany Club and she's going to talk to us in our next hour about what it takes to get into these dog shows with your dog. Keep it here. Coming up, uh, we're also going to give you a little weather. All-star closer, Kenley Jansen, we have a question. What's the best podcast of all time? Baseball isn't boring, baby. I'm Rob Bradford, and every single day I'm sitting down with the biggest names to show you this great game is the greatest game. It's my podcast. It's my passion. It's a cause I started more than two years ago and is now the most prolific national daily baseball pod there is. Another fact, so jump aboard the B.I.B. Express. Follow and listen to Baseball Isn't Boring, presented by Wasabi Hot Cloud Storage on the free Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts.